Fast Fiction Podcasts. Hello, I'm Brianne DeCross, your host for Fast Fiction Podcasts. As this is the first podcast for the year 2019, I would like to take this opportunity to thank all our regular listeners during 2018. We hope you have enjoyed our stories, and from what we can see, you have listened through all our genres equally, with no particular preference. This next podcast comes from Life in the Slow Lane. While more an anecdote than story, if you stay to the end, I think you will find a surprise that will also make you think very seriously about life in general. So, as we face the unknown future of 2019, our small fast fiction team hold our arms up and around the globe to make contact with you wherever you are and wish you all the best for the coming year. The Straight Line 1975, the Chinese Year of the Rabbit. This was a year when fashion dudes were wearing bell-bottoms, listening to Love Will Keep Us Together with Captain Antoniel, recorded our favourite TV shows on the new videotape system, and communicated with each other by mail. In the USA, the Vietnam War would end under the presidency of General Ford, Margaret Thatcher would lead the Conservative Party in Britain, and in Australia, it would forever be known as the Year of the Dismissal. Well, may we say God save the Queen. Of course, nothing will save the Governor-General. Yes, it was a political time of intrigue. But as a 30-something mum, with the kids just about becoming independent in secondary school, I decided it was a Me Too moment. No, not a hashtag Me Too, entwined with sexual harassment and assault, but an old-fashioned Me Too time, to return to academia, to university, and stand once again on the threshold of learning. My idea of heaven. Before Prime Minister Gough Whitlam was banished from the annals of Canberra, he had waved a magic wand on mature age, distance education, and the mums of Australia rejoiced. My re-entry into literary paradise was to be a combination of work and play. I shopped around until I found a university course that covered much, but educated little. A bachelor's degree in life management. The course structure was at a Mickey Mouse level of 101, sociology, biology, botany and psychology, all of which I thoroughly enjoyed. However, as each subject progressed, we were expected to validate ourselves through personal attendance and take a few exams on campus. A little daunting, it was true. But the opportunity to travel forth interstate as an individual and not be answerable to the torrent of, are we there yet, was enticing. So over the Easter break, I embarked on an 800-mile, 1,200-kilometre journey to my college of choice at Wagga Wagga, Victoria. Now, remember, this was in the pre-mobile phone, internet, computer, 
or dual highways, and even McDonald's slash Hungry Jack's fast foods. So much more preferable than the fish and chippy with the dirty fingernails. So it was quite an adventure. After a day and night on the road, I arrived very late at the Wagga campus, which at that time appeared to be a successful, well-kept secret, for there was virtually no signage to the uni itself, and even less to the accommodation block. After parking in a paddock adjacent to the full-to-bursting car park, I lugged a heavily laden backpack of clothes and equally heavy case of old-fashioned textbooks to what appeared to be an entry foyer in B-Block. Then, following a sign saying, Registration, bumped my way up two sets of interminable stairs to an empty room which looked as if it had been last visited in the 1920s. There I found a tired and bored female who first attempted to tell me my enrolment didn't exist and finally found me incorrectly named and filed as a Brian Cross who had been allocated a room in C-Block. Clutching a key, I now trudged back along various pathways in the growing gloom to what was indeed C-Block, which of course was now locked. By now the drizzling rain was a torrential downpour. Even so, with no other recourse, I made my return visit to B-Block and just managed to waylay my key giver, tell her of my problem and persuade her to accompany me back to C-Block in order to open the door. All of which was undertaken with a good deal of bad temper, bad language, nowadays considered moderate, and at a pace that gave no consideration of my now excruciatingly heavy luggage. Abandoned at the front door, I found the corridors empty, and the entire building so quiet it bordered on eerie. Ah, so my sisters in learning were obviously a studious bunch, sleeping or preparing for the following day. Once found, the clean, sparse bedroom was less inviting than a prison cell, but within 30 minutes I was blissfully asleep in what would be my home for the next five days. When I awoke, the sun was streaming in through the window, and a quick look at my watch confirmed I was very late for the opening address. Even so, desperately in need to clean off the previous day's travel, I grabbed a towel and ran to the showers that were conveniently placed across the hall. With hardly no more than a cursory look around, I ran into the first cubicle and closed the door, turning on hot and cold taps at the same time and revelling in the cascade of warm water. The exhaustion of the day before was washed away and I felt reinvigorated for the coming day. Ten seconds later, and this euphoric feeling vanished, because as I stepped out of the cubicle wrapped in a mini bath towel, I found a dozen or so males in similar attire. In my Brian something status, I was, of course, in the men's shower block. With as much dignity as one can muster in such a situation, I hoisted the towel to a discretionary position and, glancing casually at the two young men standing at the urinal, said brightly, Good morning. 
I've always wanted to do that. Does it come with practice? And strutted back to my room. Thirty minutes later, I was in the dining hall, telling my tale of woe to the gnarled old admin officer who was patrolling the room, ticking off names and tut-tutting when he couldn't find the people associated with them. When observing that my long hair and Rubinesque frame was not, in fact, attributable to the male gender, he called out loudly, "Is there a Brian Crossley in the room?" A moment's quiet, and then a hand shot up from the throng of diners. Yes, there was. A young, pimply-faced figure raced forward, claiming the name, insisting that he too had been misidentified and had found himself not only sleeping, but also showering in the women's block. Delightedly, we exchanged keys. However, my joy was somewhat squashed when he added, "Oh, thank God for that." Not only is that the women's block, but they're all nuns. The opening address was to be given in lecture room one, which took in approximately two hundred students. I looked around in awe at the advancement of study mode now available for young students: comfortable seats, slide-over tables, air conditioning, fluorescent lighting, inset projectors, and whiteboards. All of which was far advanced from the cold, smelly, cramped, drafty halls of my earlier uni experience. The registrar introduced himself, and the usual housekeeping rules were read out, and a small booklet handed to each student regarding campus rules, ethics, and how to find toilets and medical aid. Oh, and of course, the emergency fire drill. Now, the real interest—the introduction from the dean of our course. He turned out to be the very stereotype of nutty professors, medium height and build, flyaway hair, either side of a bald pate, bushy eyebrows meeting in the middle, over thick rimmed glasses, and untidy garb and gown. His speech, however, was spectacular and no doubt well memorized. Those of us enrolled with expectations to do little more than receive our degree scroll, confirming our pass in the chosen subject, sat up erect, eyes glued to the figure in front. His words were thoughtful and inspiring. Finally, in sonorous voice, he said, "Now I want you to take out your notebooks and pens and a ruler." Yes, that's what we had in those days. There was the inevitable shuffle and murmuring as the command was activated. At the top of the page on the right-hand side, print your name, and beneath it put five major goals you hope to achieve upon the conclusion of this course. A pause while this was done. Now, halfway down the page, draw a straight line from one side of the page to the other. Those of you who do not have a ruler. May use the side of your folder or some equally shaped article that has a straight edge. To the left of the line, print the date of your birth. Somewhere in the middle of the line, perhaps a little before or a little after, use your own discretion. Put a small mark in today's year, which is 1975. Now, starting with the completion of this degree, which will be number one. Mark off to the right the other four goals as you expect to achieve them. Now, at the right-hand side of the line, put the possible or probable 
state of your demise. Seeing a look of blank bewilderment on many faces, he added, Your death. There was a stir and round of small, hysterical giggles from the 200 students present. And finally, at the bottom of the page, put again today's date and your signature before handing it in to the staff waiting at the end of your row. This, then, is your contract to yourself for the rest of your life and will be handed back to you along with your graduation certificate. I thank you all and good luck. Of course, you can try this little exercise at home at your next dinner party. I assure you it will make the function quite memorable. You have been listening to The Straight Line, written and read by Brianda Cross. If you have enjoyed Fast Fiction Podcasts, please encourage our small team by giving a thumbs up, a like, or better still, a review on your favourite listening platform. Thank you.